why, as you take in the songs which speak of truth we've just sung, um, maybe you're here today or joining us from some other place and you're, you're thinking, uh, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good to me. And you might be that person that that's an easy thing to do. You have a blessing, you want to stand up and shout it right now. And that's great. That's really good. And there might be a problem for some of us who have things of our own making in the way. Um, let's just call it sin. I don't have to get detailed, but it's an obstacle. It's a barrier. And... Uh, Truth be told, you're not seeing a lot of the goodness of God in your life because you've, you've damned it up. You've blocked it from flowing into you, into your family, into your marriage, into your job. Uh, but a, a, a scripture that has really dramatically impacted Debbie and I for the last two years at least is Psalm 8411. The Lord is a sun and a shield. He gives both grace and glory. Then this, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Which tells me there's a bias in God to bring good into my life and into your life. And I don't mean a new car necessarily. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what it means, but I, I'm guessing it starts with the inside. It's something that he wants to do like the song we just sang. Uh, we were new arrivals in 1993 and I looked at the date of that song, Krista. It's 1990 and it was a favorite of Grace Point in that day. We weren't even called Grace Point in that day, we, but it was real to us. Because it gets to one of those issues that might be blocking good. The problem of the heart. I'm not going to assume that that's your story. Uh, because it may or may not be. But can, can I just offer to you a, a sort of a footnote to last Sunday. Where we talked deeply about trauma. It was, it was profound in many, many lives. I get that from interactions we've had that we're broken people and there's really not an exception until we get that we're going to think if you're broken you're going to go oh, I, I'm the only guy here that's messed up and that's crazy that's just not true or or you might you might have a pride problem because you know, I'm on a roll. It's going for me. And I just want us to come before Jesus with the reality that he is the healer. He will purify our hearts. And in my experience, that's never fun. Uh, but it's necessary. So would you, would you just close your eyes for a minute and let them open by looking inside you. Start with the obvious, you're hurting. You might be one of those that is still processing deep trauma.
But it might also be the case that God says, I'm, I'm the healer, I'm the helper. I'm the source of hope in that trauma in your past that keeps wanting to, to trouble you in the present. And it's hard for you to hear, he's good, he's good, he's good to me. Will you just say by faith, whisper to him, Lord, there is stuff in the way. I need your help to address that stuff. And I'm really asking for your Holy Spirit to do that work in me. If refining is required, and I suspect it is, Will you gently refine me, Lord, so that I'm holy as you are holy? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want to encourage you. Um, that's why I took that time to pray, um, to connect with many of you and many others that didn't have a chance to reach out kids have a great time I know some of you are heading to kid land next door but I want to encourage you that um, it's not too late if you're if you're bound by some blockage in a trauma that just will not let you go let's not despair let's not give up on that let's let's work together let's grow together can I tell you what um, it's happening, and I could go on and set aside my sermon for the morning. I can just tell you this. I was at a men's group yesterday, and God was on the move. Amen? He was on the move in hearts, and uh, it was really a cool experience. And I think he's going to do things this morning as well. Um, we're in a series of uh, messages that come out of Acts in the New Testament. We're actually in chapter 19 this week. Can you believe it? And uh, it's already making me a little um, worried that what will we talk about when we're done with Acts, you know? So in the spirit of John Moore, who loves James, I think we're just going to go back to chapter one and start it all over again. How's that sound, John? <laughs> so it's good stuff. No, I'm, uh, I'm excited to take us a step further. Um, I want to, uh, yeah, I want to thank you for, um, uh, every so often a pastor needs validation that, yeah, am I getting through, is this making a difference? And last week overwhelmed me with a sense that that's happening, and it humbles me, really does. So uh, thank you uh, for revealing your trauma. Let's, we'll get through it together, okay? I don't know what it is in most cases, but the ones I do know, you've heard me say those words. We'll get, we'll get through this, and we will. Uh, I want to take you back this morning. My title probably gets your attention and maybe arouses a little bit of concern because it goes back to the days of a controversy. Um, I hope that controversy won't flare up this morning, um, but uh, no doubt the fact that you're here tells me you... Uh, are largely comfortable and, um, and secure in the uh, theological presentation that I try to fold into every message. So I'm not, I'm not a, an agenda guy, I'm a Jesus guy. And I love the word of God. 
uh, whether it's really easy to hear or really hard to hear. Amen? And that's what that's will set us free. So. so I want to take you back a long time ago to just set the hook a little bit and make you see that I had a kind of an early on discovery of the topic we're going to talk about. Uh, I was... Um, a very long time ago, I had a conversation with a young pastor. I was fairly young then, too. I was, uh, it's about 35 years ago, so I've been a pastor 43 years. So I was kind of in the early innings of pastoring. And he was sitting next to me on a tour bus in Israel to set the stage. Um, I had been invited, as 200 of us had from North America, pastors from all over. And we none of us really made sense as to why we were selected, but... I uh, got an opportunity to go there for uh, the first of two visits to the Holy Land, and it's, it was life-changing. It was powerful. Uh, but I'm sitting next to this guy. There's an aisle in between us, and um, we had a conversation, and it really, uh, our conversation that day actually bumped into the topic of our study in Acts today in chapter 18. So if you're not there yet, you can turn there. That's where we're heading at the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19. Um, so let me state somewhat uh, the controversy right out of the gate. When does the Holy Spirit come into the life of a believer in Jesus? Okay, when does the Holy Spirit, I don't like this expression because I mean it much more reverently, but show up in a, in a person's life, okay, a believer's life. So on that day, 35 years ago, uh, touring the country, we had between sites, as some of you that were on our trip more recently know, there were, there were a lot of times in the buses and, you know, lots of conversations. You became best friends by the end, you know. And we're having this chat. I have no idea. He's from the Midwest someplace. I do know that he was very young. He had not gone to seminary, which doesn't indict you and make you bad, um, but he he was uh, maybe in his early 20s. I was in my late 20s. Again, no superiority there at all. It was just who we were. And we're having this conversation that was um, fairly simple and straight. And so he asked me the first of two questions. When did you get saved? And which, which is a really great question. I hope you'll lead with that in your life groups today. Just when did you get saved? If you're at home, Talk about it with your family and friends. When did I? Here's when I got saved. If you're not clear about it, then maybe there's some things you can look at in Scripture. Again, reach out to me, Steve, at gracepointfamily.com, and we'll, we'll talk about how you can be sure about that. And if you're not sure, then how you can meet Jesus, and away we go, okay? So that's in my heart always. When did you get saved, this young man said to me. And I told him quickly, I was... Um, I was in Mexico, and I was an eighth grader, and um, I was on a ministry trip that my father led. I was really, truth be known, I was there to just hang out with dad, because he was always on the go, and so you just had to throw a lasso around him and hold on, you know, kind of thing. So we're in Mexico, and he's, he's got students down there sharing the gospel, and I met Jesus down there. I was in eighth grade, I remember that. The group was called Caravans for Christ, and it gave birth to all kinds of ministry things that are still with us today. So it was a true Holy Spirit kind of time, and it was a time that impacted my life deeply. 
So I tell him this, and then he quickly asks a follow-up question. And my answer, I learned, was not what he expected, nor what he accepted. Uh, he asked, when did you receive the Holy Ghost? Can I just stop for a second and say, I don't like that label, um, the Holy Ghost. I realize some of you, I don't want to step on toes, but I don't like ghosts. I just don't. They scare me, okay? Just put it out there. So I don't know if that's you, and you know I'm not taking a shot at you in any way, but that was not my background. I prefer Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God uh, because the song we sing, God in three persons, blessed trinity, is what I prefer, and I feel secure with saying it that way. Amen? Okay, about half of you said amen. That's good. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right, that's good. So um, you're still wondering what was my answer to his second question. When did I receive the Holy Spirit? And my answer was to repeat what I had said in answer to his first question. In Mexico, as an eighth grader, going to tell people about Jesus and realized, whoops, I didn't have Jesus in my heart. I was talking facts, not reality inside me. And it's difficult to describe, those at home will see a close-up of this, the look on his face at that moment was we've got I, uh, 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 in the Apple an iPhone that has icons on it, and it's the one where the eyes are popping out. Like <laughs> this guy, and this is way before cell phones, but this guy had that look. And he looked at me like, and I could see his body shift to, I'm not sitting that close to the aisle next to this guy, you know. We were on a different page is my point. And it was very obvious, and then it removed all doubt when I listened to his rather pejorative uh, response. What's that mean? He ain't buying it, and you're a jerk for answering that question that way. It was like a condescending rip. Is that enough definition on pejorative? You get it? Okay, so it was, it was a, what was his response? You're kidding me, came more of it. That doesn't happen. It's always later, in most cases, much later. Now, I'm animating it more than he did because we didn't want to upset the rest of the pastors on the bus. But it was real. And it was a moment that that aisle became symbolic in many ways. Uh, I responded to him in that moment. Uh, by then, I was questioning my salvation, of course. Um, and I said this, something like this. It seems to me, and I, I was maybe not this calm, that in some cases in the book of Acts in the Bible, the Holy Spirit came into someone's life sometime after being in Mexico in the eighth grade, like my story told. Some cases that is true in the book of Acts, but more often it happened right at that moment that they uh, repented of their sin, 
and cried out for mercy and salvation. Uh, and they were saved. And at that moment, at that moment, God have mercy on me, the sinner. Think Luke 18, okay? Guy beats his chest. That's all it is. Seven words. God have mercy on me, the sinner. Transaction complete. He was saved. Uh, the Holy Spirit came to live inside people like that again and again in Acts. Permanently, and listen to me clearly on this, permanently guaranteeing their promised future and place in heaven someday. I came home from Mexico. We made it home. And um, had I not made it home and died on the way, I'm just putting it in real language now, I would be home with Jesus in heaven because I was signed, sealed, delivered, baby, and uh, belonging to Jesus all the way. Now, um, <laughs> that ended our conversation that day, uh, but hopefully it begins our conversation today, all right? So um, this morning, I want you to see, and with your own eyes and with your own assessment, evaluate, was my answer correct, and does it still apply today, okay? Because that's where it matters. You don't want to hear me tell an entertaining story or something like that. You want to know, what about me? Is my story for real? Is this true for me? And that's where we want to go here. So Acts 18 is where we left off. And the Apostle Paul, at this point, verse 23, had uh, just <clears throat> returned home from uh, to his sending church. His sending church was not Jerusalem, you may re recall. It was actually Antioch of Syria, up north from Jerusalem. It's where he was a homeboy. He, he knew the people there. They knew him. And they sent him out on several missions trips. He had returned from his second mission trip, and he had gone on that trip, you'll recall. Uh, a long, he'd been gone a long time. Missionaries do that. Typically, they'll go two to four years. Uh, there was a day when it was always four and more. But they go away for a while, and then they, where do they return? To home base. They come to, we call it the sending church. So Antioch, Syria is where Paul's sending church was. And he comes back to them reporting what had happened. He'd been gone three years, and he had covered, this doesn't, matter a lot today. This is me going, Debbie and I driving to Maryland, okay? Well, that's a long ways in a car. Want to do it by foot? It's a really long ways, so you start to understand three years. Um, long distance, and he had visited many churches, um, sharing the good news with them that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for people's sin, that's the gospel, and they can have eternal life by repenting of their sins and believing in him. There's the gospel. If you've never done that, you need to do that. That's where it starts. All right. So that had all been part of his trip. And after now a very short home assignment, uh, maybe the rest of that year, likely during winter, he, uh, he was moved again and felt stirred by the Holy Spirit to 
head out again, a third missions trip. So that's what we come to here. And, um, and he takes virtually, not completely, but virtually the same. He retraces his roots. He heads in South Asia in a turkey track, heading basically a little bit north and straight west. And, uh, and, and Luke highlights that Paul's primary purpose in heading out, he moved fairly quickly. We don't see any detail about the stops on his third trip. We just know that he hit places that we went into depth with, talking about Iconium and other places, Lystra and Derby, And then, um, and by the way, may I say he did that for reasons that you would imagine. It's not a guess. When you go to a place, you share the gospel, and you reach people. People turn to Jesus, and then they gather together. That's called planting a church, okay? So he had churches in these places in his second trip, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, others. He had those churches because a few believers started sharing what they had discovered in Jesus. I remember the old I Found It campaign. They did that. And more people went, I want it. You found something I need. I want it. And so they did. And they formed these brand new baby churches. Well, what a, a person like Paul and maybe many of us want to do is we want to go back there for the purpose of saying, how are you guys doing? Are you still growing? Are you still walking with the Holy Spirit? Are you still focused on God and and, uh, and, and he basically went there to encourage these people. Which, may I say, is a primary reason we come together here on Sundays. It's not the only day of the week. If you drive by the church any day of the week, you'll see, whoa, something's going on there. If you keep driving, then you're not involved in what's going on there. And that's okay. It's not a rip. But give it some thought. There's things going on, and they're good things. Uh, the, there's a couple of New Testament statements made. They're both from Hebrews. The first is chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has something that's potential in all of us, a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You say, well, that, that won't happen. Apparently, it's a bias in the heart. There's a bias in the heart toward wild. And that's the antidote. Verse 13 goes on to say, but, it, but meet together, get together, and encourage one, or one another daily, often, so that none of you may be actually hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's a whole other sermon there. But sin doesn't just come knocking on your door. It sneaks up on you. And it's creeping separateness. And eventually, over time, you're way off path and you go how in the world did this happen so see to it as one of them then hebrews 10 one you're more familiar with verses 24 and 25 let us consider how to spur one another or stimulate one another to love and good deeds not giving up there's a message here for some of us in this gathering and some of us not in this gathering let's not give up gathering or meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging, that's what Paul was coming back to do. 
encouraging one another day after day, all the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. That's a great enticement. I know we're busy people, but I know a lot of us have fallen out of the habit of doing what the scriptures tell it. Let me just say it. If you're out of the habit of, of gathering, get into the habit again. Do it. And I'm talking not just to live stream people. Some of them are shut-ins. They're not going to be able to be here. That's okay. But I don't know of a biblically strong reason for not showing up in church and taking church 100% online. You say, wow, don't, don't, don't offend your audience. I, I'm just telling you the truth. If it offends you, talk to the Holy Spirit about it. Because he, here, here's the reason. Other Christians need you. And you need them. Something's missing without that. So uh, here we are. As Paul continued to encourage the, the believers on this trek west, the narrative shifts to a city. Turns out it was the last city Paul visited on his second trip before going home, Ephesus. But before, before Paul shows up, Luke draws attention to um, a, a, an Egyptian Jew named Apollos. Isn't that a cool name? How many are thinking the Rocky movies right now? Uh, Apollo Creed, wasn't that his name? Apollo Creed. <laughs> Yo, Adrian, yeah, okay. So anyway, um, here we are. He's introduced Apollos, not Apollo, Apollos, Egyptian Jew. So he's from way down south. And he's up here across the Mediterranean in Ephesus. And he's introduced, I think you'll agree, in some very impressive ways. Look at verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria, way down in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus, notice, with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. I just got to stop and tell you, that's my mission every Sunday up here. To teach this way, like, like Apollos, I mean, enthusiastic spirit and accuracy. However, however, circle the word if you circle words in your Bible. However, Luke adds, he knew only about John's baptism. Hmm? When Priscilla and Aquila, I've heard those names. Uh, when they heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to do so. They even wrote letters to the believers there, asking them to welcome him. And when he arrived, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate using the scriptures. He explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Let me just say in a sweeping way, it's about Apollos. Apollos had it all, almost. Almost. I mean, 
and not to make anything up here, he was well-versed. Verse 24 says, with a great grasp of the scriptures. That's a great starting point. If you're going to be a communicator for God in any way, in a public way, in a personal way, get to know God's word. You say, how will I share the gospel? I've got a ton of simple ways. The Romans road, parallel lines, the four spiritual laws. The, uh, it's easy. It's, it's really, once you do it, you just go, oh, I got it. I can do it. So I, I've got the Bible going, and so did Apollos. And he had a great grasp of the scriptures. Verse 24 tells us. He shared what he learned of the way of the Lord, and I already made a deal about this, but he had sincere passion and persuasion. You know, he doesn't just want to impart information. He's looking for reaction. He's reading people's nonverbals. And if they're just like, then he pulls them in closer and says, let's talk some more. Let's get this down. That's the kind of communicator uh, Luke's describing in Apollos here. Notice, too, he was well-trained in debate. That works really well when you've got, uh, re you've got resistors. They're like, no, no, their head, their nonverbals are saying, I don't buy it. I don't get it. I, no way. And so he was really good at refuting resistors. He goes, you know, I perceive you're not buying this. Well, let's talk about why you don't buy this. Not a beat down. Not I see the gal in the red dress or the guy in the blue shirt. No. It's, hey, let's talk about it. That's, that's what he did. And he was a great refuter. It turns out, not surprisingly, that it was many of the Jews who were living in Achaia, which is down in the Corinth area, south uh, Greece. So he didn't just let them go. He said, wait a second, you're not, you're not drawing this in. However, I had you think of that word when we read it the first time. He lacked the full picture of God's plan. Namely, he only knew the baptism of John, the baptizer, in verse 21, known as John's baptism. More on that in a minute. I love to tell you this. Thankfully, thankfully, he, he, um, he ran into a couple of people one day when he was waxing eloquence in the synagogue, we're told, right? Verse 26. And who were those people? Aquila and Priscilla. Aunt Patty and Uncle Bob. Remember them? And guess where they took him? Their home. Because they have enough bedrooms. And say, stay a while. We want to explain some things some more. And they did. And they kept using this gift and the means that God had given them. In this case, to expand they they were impressed there's no question about how you read verse 26 they heard him speak preach boldly in the synagogue they're like whoa but they pull him aside and explain the word of god more accurately can use the word completely he had a partial grasp of the truth and they wanted to make it a full grasp 
You know what's missing in verse 25, and I love this? Let it be true of any of us. If you don't like what this Apollos is doing or saying, thank you for, you don't just go, oh, what? You know, uh, call it out or, or get up and huff out. We don't do that. We don't do that. Um, they, they didn't do that either. They invite him to their home. Um, that's a great thing. He wasn't, he wasn't a heretic. He just didn't have all the information. So they took their time. What was missing in his message? We've been told. He only knew of the baptism of John. What was the baptism of John? Well, it was a baptism of repentance. Of repentance. People who wanted to get right with God, uh, then and now, must repent. You say, I'm not on the path with God. I don't think God will take my hand right now. Well, you can change that. It's called repent. Say something in your own language. God, I suck. I'm bad. I don't care. It doesn't really matter how you put it in words. It really doesn't. Maybe, God, I, I've tried to be good. I sense it's not good enough. Or, you know, Jesus, I've just been a train wreck. I've been, I didn't know there was a path. You know somebody like that? How many of you were that at some point in your life? Okay. It's okay. I know, I know your stories, and there's a lot more hands that should be in the air right now. Saying, just telling you. I've told you I should have been behind bars. I don't mean a drinking bar. I was a guy. I was that guy. I mean, I have had so many parents in 30 years here that go, man, you're so encouraging to us because we got one like you. <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. Because Jesus Christ changed it for me. Everything. And his Holy Spirit makes sure that I stay changed. And when I'm resisting, he just doesn't go away. We're going to get it. We're going to change it again. So here's the deal. Uh, John, John's baptism was actually quite popular in the day. People by throngs were coming to him. And, he, and here's, you want to hear his message? I did, you don't have to go there. Matthew, Matthew 3. This is from John the baptizer. You brood of vipers. You haven't heard that from me this morning, okay? But he used it. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. You want to throw up or run away, don't you? It's like this guy's going, he's going postal. Well, guess what? A ton of people felt a stab in their hearts. A conviction. And they said, what do, what do we do? That's a good start. He says, his very words, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who's more powerful than I am. And he will come and the straps on his sandals. This is what a big deal he is compared to me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He will baptize you differently than me. I'm here to cause you to stop. Say I messed up. Get in the water. 
and say you're sorry. That was the baptism of John. He will come and baptize you with the Spirit and fire. Fire. What's the difference between the two? I uh, have a book that I think Swindoll in one sentence. That's why he's such a better communicator than me. This is what he said. Christian baptism, the fire, the baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Christian baptism differs from the baptism of John in that it symbolizes a believer's union with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, to new life and unity in the kingdom of God. You hear the difference? One is, ah, I got to get this guilt trip off my back. I feel bad for what I've done. Well, then get wet, John would say. And Jesus said, hold on. I, when I come, I'm going to do it. That's a start. Here's the full picture. And, of course, Acts is all about that full picture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. So now with Apollos more fully informed of his theology, he sets his sights, as, a, as we read, on, on Greece, South Greece, Achaia, the north part of Greece, Macedonia, southern part, Achaia. And, um, and he didn't just go there and knock on the door and say, hey, y'all want to talk? He actually had the endorsement. Did you read that? Did you get that when we read it? The endorsement of the Ephesian Christians. They're like, this dude is legit. They need him over there because Lord knows Corinth's a mess. Corinth was a mess. They need a guy like you. And so this paved the way for Apollos to have significant impact on the new Christians in Corinth trying to live for Jesus in the middle of a mess. Sounds like our world, huh? So Apollos goes to them and he, he builds them up in their faith. And uh, he even refutes, there they are again, the Jewish resistors. About that time, Paul's been going through Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and then he diverts south and lands in Ephesus. And he shows up, um, and his second missionary trip, I think you'll take my word for it, but he, he made a statement that I want you to remember from a past study. Verse 20 of chapter 18, they asked, this is it when he was in Ephesus about to uh, set sail for home. They asked him, no, 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 stay, stay longer, please. We love what you're teaching. This is helping us. This is changing us. So verse 20 gives way to verse 21. As he left, however, he said, I will come back. Remember these words? God willing. Well, folks, God was willing. And here he was. So Paul, after arriving, met with a group of believers. And in getting acquainted, he asked them, a great question, their salvation story. There happened to be 12 of them that were told he met. Tell me your salvation story. 
in essence, what Paul is about to, we're about to read is he, he said, uh, how, how did you get saved? Tell me your testimony. So verse 1, chapter 17. Uh, excuse me, chapter 19. While Paulus, Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several, 12 believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. What an answer. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Huh? Then what baptism did you experience, Paul asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Of course. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. We're taking all this in. I wish we could see the look on their face going, you know, the aha moment. They're going, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And we're told in verse 7, there were 12 of them in all. Um, while their spiritual interest was real, no question about it. How do you explain Paul, the apostle, returning and having an audience with these 12? There's a spiritual interest there that this passage is built upon. And their baptism, let me just say it, was sincere. Paul didn't go, your baptism, you know, you guys are all wet. It's a bad way to put it, but you're, you missed it. He, it, it was sincere. Um, but something was missing. And it, and it was time for them to move forward. From people that are religious to people that have a true relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Um, let's give these people a label for a moment, can we? They were spiritually sincere people. Everybody good with that label? I think it's correct. I would, I would expect to hear some kind of pushback recorded in the Bible. There wasn't. They're just taking it in. And that makes them, to me, spiritually sincere people. And they even say so. They were baptized with John's baptism. That's a good thing. They had believed. They were believers, rather. So we're not talking about people that didn't believe in Jesus. Twice we're told, in, I'm reading this morning from New Living Translation, which will maybe solve a mystery. Some of you are like, where's that in here? Hold on, let me, let me, I had it upside down here a little bit. Um, but they were told in verse 1, um, he found several believers. In verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit? The question ends with, when you believed. So these are believers, okay? And they had been baptized like we learned earlier they had been baptized, as Paulus said, for the, the uh, baptism of John to express their sorrow for their sin. They were teachable, too. And I, I, I just couldn't get past the, as soon as they heard this, verse 5, 
there's this sense that um, I'm going to, I remember when Paul was in Athens and he preached and there was a, there was, there were some people that scoffed and sneered and they said, nah, not going to buy it. And then it says there was another group that said, we're going to think some more about this. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, shut you down, but I'm not going to buy in. And then there's another group at the end of this all in chapter 17 of Acts. There's a third group that says, we're in. We'll follow Jesus daily. If anyone wants to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. They said, that's us. We'll do it. Okay. Well, well, these guys, they, they were the kind that said, hold on. This makes sense. Um, so we're, they're teachable, I'm, I'm thinking. And they hear truth and they act upon it. That's what verse 5 is saying. They, they hear this explanation, verse 4, and they go, wow, that connects some dots. That puts things together. And they, and they experience the Holy Spirit's presence and power. So much so that we're told that they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So you'll, you'll see in your outline, we're not going past that, but there is some application moments. Okay? Given our study today, um, what are some biblically-based takeaways when it comes to discovering um, new information and in particular, um, a fuller picture of the Holy Spirit. I've told you from the beginning of this study that this is, I, I, I feel very comfortable saying this is Acts of the Apostles, or we've kind of nicknamed it Acts of the Holy Spirit. No other place in the Bible does Pentecost happen, except what's recorded here. It happened here in Acts. So the Holy Spirit is the central theme. And what he did and empowered the apostles to do is what the rest of the New Testament's about. Um, we're going we're gonna, to, in a moment, we're going to actually read something from Ephesians. And you say, well, that makes sense. Wasn't, didn't you just say he's in Ephesians or Ephesus? That's right. And he wrote them when he left. And uh, anyway, it's, it's really, really good stuff. But uh, here's, let me make it more personal. Was my answer to that pastor, a young pastor and myself, on the bus that day correct? Was it accurate? Okay. Here are a couple of parting takeaways, points. The first is this. There doesn't seem to be a set pattern uh, in Acts for when and how the Holy Spirit comes. Thank you. There doesn't. There doesn't seem to be a set pattern. I think I've tended to, and you can answer for yourself, I've tended to vilify those that didn't see it exactly the way I saw it for, for a while. Well, my way is the right way, well, course I mean I'm just do you kind of, do, we, do we all think that way of course my way is the right way yeah for me right 
I'm not saying you can make it up and one size fits one. Um, but, but I didn't knowingly hold on to a incorrect view or a partial view. I've, 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 I sat there that day thinking, huh? And I think we both left, we parted ways convinced that other guy was wrong. Isn't that how it works? And then he goes to a Pentecostal church, a full gospel church, a, um, I don't know, um, Assemblies of God. You know, you can name them all, but he goes to one of those, and I make my way to a safe, secure Baptist church. So, okay? My dad's asleep, so don't even bring this up right now. No, he would agree with you right now. He really would. Or me, anyway. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a set pattern in Acts for when and how the Holy Spirit comes. Let me give you some reasons for that. If you, if you are in the habit of looking down at the bottom, you can find these references there and other places in Acts today. But he came before baptism in Caesarea while Peter was preaching. It's in Acts chapter 8. Peter was preaching. All of a sudden, he got interrupted. How? The Holy Spirit showed up and moved in the hearts of these people. So, um, before baptism, the Holy Spirit came in that example. He also came after baptism in Samaria. If you go up to Samaria and you check it out, chapter 8, you find that he actually, um, he came after baptism. Oh, that doesn't fit the one size. And then here's a couple of probably more on your mind uh, questions. He came with and without the laying on of hands. No hands were laid on me in Mexico. Um, some churches, that's the method whereby you are touched slain, some would say, in certain circles by the Holy Spirit. Slain sounds like killed, and I don't like that either. So, But anyway, I'm just saying, I'm just being open here. Okay, so, But he came in, in Acts, let's stick with Acts, Acts 8 and Acts 2. Acts 2 was Pentecost. Guess what? There was not a hand laid on anybody there. So it doesn't take hands to pull this off. Is what I'm saying. Some cases it happened that way. They laid hands on them. That's what we've just read about here. Um, and then he came with people speaking in tongues and without. You realize that? It's really true. So, again, right here, 19.6. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophecies. That's one of the ways it happens. But if you go clear back to chapter 8, you come to verse 14, and I've referenced these already, but you can pick it up there when you do, um, do your further study. But Acts 8, 14, I want you to see this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria, they accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands up upon these people, and they received the Holy Spirit, but noticed no mention there or anything further, that they spoke in tongues or prophesied. Now, that takes to a second principle, and that's this. Speaking in tongues isn't the issue. It is not the issue. Being filled and sealed in the Holy Spirit is the issue, right? Um, I told you I'd quote Ephesians. Here, here we go. Listen to these. These are clarifying words by the Apostle Paul a little bit later. He wrote this in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. When you believed in Christ, just walk through your story right now. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as one of his own. That one belongs to me. By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. In Mexico, Steve prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart. And he gave Steve the Holy Spirit to say, I, I, you belong to me. The Spirit, still quoting, is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased for us to be his people. He did this so we would bring praise and glory to his name. There is a great moment where you and I repent of our sins and God says he's mine, she's mine. They've been born again. And I don't know if there's a conversation. I suspect there isn't because the Holy Spirit is uh, one of the Godhead, God in three persons. The Holy Spirit, at that moment, when Steve prayed to receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit said, I got this. And he moved on my life, came in. I don't remember how it happened, but he came into my life, the Bible tells me, and at that moment, he sealed me. An envelope was licked, <laughs> right? And he sealed me. And, and I've been sealed and secure ever since. You say, what happens when you were that guy and went off the path? Holy Spirit went with me. He didn't like the ride. You know what they call that? Conviction. He's like, hey, it's bumpy in here. Hey, it's bumpy in here. Get back on the path, Jack. You know, I mean, that's kind of what the Holy Spirit, however he talks, that's my language. Just going, hey, get over it. You know, that kind of thing. He's, so um, I, I have a caution then. Okay, here's, here's, here's my caution. Okay, so speaking in tongues isn't the, the issue. Being, being filled and sealed. With the Holy Spirit. That is the issue. In Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, it's there. The Bible says that. Okay? Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, a lot of other places, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is a caution I want to give us as we leave this this morning. The caution has to do with uh, what's described in detail in Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians who, as you kind of would guess, they kind of got things tangled up. They did that a lot. 
and uh, in this case, about the Holy Spirit. And it was a wild party. And it was chaos. And it was, it was, it was not organized. And it was, it was um, not orderly. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is must read, the whole chapter. Because I take from that that it's a caution associated with the, the presence and practice of tongues in particular. Not all believing spirit-filled Christians speak in tongues or prophesy. We need to understand that. That doesn't make us superior or inferior. It makes us different. It makes me different. I don't want to speak for you. Some of you have told me I, that's my prayer language. That's great. I think that can be supported biblically. I'm not saying make it up and call it a new label. I'm saying that's okay. But I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the gift. I've never had the gift of tongues. Um, I've never had the gift of healing or prophesying or knowledge. You say, what do you have? You got anything? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> pastor, maybe. There we go. And and teacher. And, um, so what's the implication of what I just said? I want you to read 1 Corinthians 14. And the implication is this. Those that do have the gift of tongues must remember that it's not a required sign of salvation. There is absolutely no evidence in the Bible of here, we'll hold hands on you longer. It's going to happen. So, you know, you're, you're a Christian. It's like being pregnant. You're either really pregnant or you're not pregnant. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian, not a sort of Christian. Okay? You belong to Jesus. And if you have the gift of tongues and other, what, what's been called sign gifts, okay. Use them according to the, the definition and boundaries of 1 Corinthians 14. That would not be a passage in the Bible if there wasn't a problem that surfaced from time to time. And those that don't have the gift of tongues must avoid this. And I stand corrected. I had no business retreating from that pastor. I didn't get it. That's not my experience. Uh, but we've got to avoid judgment and, and instead explore the Holy Spirit gifts that God has listed in, ready for it? First Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. The 12s and the 4s. You never forget it. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. It talks about a lot of other gifts. If you're not sure about your gift, that's a great place to get it. So my, my conclusion is uh, the answer I gave the pastor on the tour bus in Israel that day was accurate. I truly was saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit the day I repented of my sins and believed in Jesus in Mexico as an eighth grader. The other pastor's experience was different than mine, but the result was the same. 
He too was saved and sealed after believing in Jesus. We both had and have, I've never stayed in touch with him, I'm not sure where he lives or what, but um, he spoke in tongues and I didn't. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. Amen. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Let me come back to something that is deeply embedded in everything I've said here today. Everything. <clears throat> Jesus died for your sin. Sometimes you at home can't see when I turn around, I'm looking at a big cross at center point in, in this gathering. And that is true. He died for your sins and was buried, and, and he rose again. We get to remember and celebrate those things. In a little bit of time, just less than a month from now. Um, so my question to you is always an important one. Have you believed in him? Have you believed in Jesus? Because if you have, his spirit came to seal the deal. The moment you believed. If you haven't, then the Holy Spirit does not live in you. And now's the time to repent. And now's the time to receive Jesus and eternal life. And the Holy Spirit in that moment of prayer right now where you are will come in and take up permanent residence in your life. will be secure through the rest of this life and into eternity with him. So Jesus, thank you for being so wonderful that you came and did all those things, but when you left, you said, it's, it's actually a good thing I'm going away because I'm going to send my spirit, not just to be with you and show you as I have, but to live inside you share this life with you until your home in heaven is done. Let's sing as we finish our time. It's a great song. It's just meditative and a couple of little choruses that connect